Young Entertainment. Young Entertainment. Young Entertainment Professionals. Young Entertainment Professionals. I would say to just definitely follow your passion. Like if you're really passionate about something, you can create content about it. You're listening to the Young Entertainment Professionals Podcast, where we sit down with the people cultivating the entertainment industry and the influence Yep has had on their music industry community. I'm your host, Libby Olerich, and welcome to the new year in a brand new episode. If you are an entertainer of any kind, you know the internet, more specifically, streaming platforms, social media, your digital audience plays a huge role in your brand and how you monetize your content. I am a content creator myself, and my conversation with Maiden Network's Amelia Sachs was so interesting. Amelia is the Director of Strategy at Maiden Network, and she specializes in digital content strategy, YouTube channel management, and video-specific media buys. She is YouTube certified in asset monetization, channel growth, content ownership, and content strategy. If you are afraid of analytics and how to interpret them, do not be. They are your answers to the questions about your audience engagement, what platforms best suit your brand, and a whole lot more. Amelia first dives into how her internships and career path led her to her role at Maiden Network. We then talk about a variety of content creators from film enthusiasts to foodies, musicians, and why what they do works. Now to our episode with Amelia Sachs. Welcome, Amelia Sachs, to the Yep podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank I'm doing you. well. Thanks for having me in your space. Yeah, thank you for coming. Super fun. We're in the Beatles conference room. Yep. I feel like it's so fitting. Yep, definitely for Nashville and for entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. So can you walk through, um, first of all, like what led you to become the director of strategy at Maiden Network? I feel like, have you have you been here since? Since, since the beginning. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, my senior year at Belmont, I was really passionate about like publishing and songwriting and that aspect of the entertainment industry. And I hadn't, I felt like I really learned a lot of those skills and that's definitely what I was going to do. But then a curveball kind of came of an acquaintance uh, named Kevin Grush, who is the founder and co-founder and CEO of Maiden. Uh, he reached out to me and said that he was starting a business and he wanted to see if I was interested in being on the team. And my initial reaction was, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I really knew what I was doing. I was really passionate about where I was. And um, I happened to be interning at Creative Nation with Beth Laird at the time. Nice. And she is really close with Kevin and had supported him in his entrepreneurial journey and starting a business and, like, mentoring him. Mm -hmm. And so she told me that she thought it was something I should try. And she kind of convinced me, along with a lot of Kevin's phone calls, that it was something I could do. And then I got really excited about the opportunity to learn something really new. Um, because there's very few chances that you will have the chance to just learn an entire new industry, a new skill set. And all I knew was it was something about YouTube is what the business was going to be. So I devoted all of my free time, every second I had to learning about YouTube, about the platform, the creators on it, how the algorithm worked, um, the landscape as it was. We had, you know, nightly Google Hangouts with everyone on the Maiden team yet they're all in the same office just trying to learn and understand how YouTube worked. Um, so then it went into like the fall of my senior year at Belmont and Maiden was officially running full-time and I had a full-time position for my whole senior year. So I went from being like a kind of intern learning what the company could be and what YouTube could be to being on the staff and just taking class at night and at lunch and trying to finish out my time at Belmont. 
and it just grew really fast. So uh, that was five years ago. And from there, we went from having you know, two channels that we were managing to now we have about a dozen creators that we manage and then wow. um, five brands that we're building YouTube channels for. So went from four people sharing a desk to an office of 30 people, which is really exciting. Well, before we get it, because I want to get into those those different channels mm-hmm. and um, what you've learned through developing those different types of brands. First of all, with YouTube, mm-hmm. how have you seen it change? Um, how like in terms of how it's used and just with the yeah. platform itself and what it can do for creatives of in different industries. Mm-hmm. I would say it's definitely started to get more accessible mm-hmm. to a lot of people. It. There used to be a barrier to, one, getting onto the platform and then also being able to monetize it. You had to, you know, have a certain number of subscribers or you had to be affiliated with a network or you had to have some, like, elaborate contract with an administrator or some other company. And now you really can just start creating content and you immediately reach that audience and there's no barrier to do it, which I think is what has made YouTube so successful. You know, there's no gatekeeper. There's nothing. If you are creating good content, you can put it out. And I think that's really important for music, comedy, entertainment, cooking, animation, anything you can do. Um, and that just shows like the span of YouTube and how big that audience is. So right now I'd say it's a really interesting time because YouTube specifically is really TV to so many people younger than us. Mm-hmm. They know the release schedules of it. They know how to create their playlists and what to watch and when everything comes out and you know, kids as young as two years old know how to navigate the YouTube Kids app and, like, who their favorite creators are. And it really is what TV was for us growing up. It is that, but way more amplified because, like I said, there's no barrier. So they see these people as just, like, normal people because they are, and they're not celebrities, but they can, they know every Monday they're going to get this video from this creator, and then every Wednesday they're going to get this video, and for the foreseeable future, it will be that way. Mm. And it's really cool because those creators are just creating what they want for their audience. and No one's just, telling them how, they just figure it right. out along the way. It's just a really cool time to, your creativity, you can really own it. Um, I mean, even to the point where you see traditional TV networks are now posting all of their biggest sketches and performances and everything else on YouTube because... Mm-hmm. People watch it there instead. And immediately after the fact, mm-hmm. too. Like, I know there's, I have a couple friends that are on um, this new reality country TV show. And, you know, my friend was telling me, hey, well, like, I'll just send you the link because they immediately post the performance right afterwards. So yep. it's, I mean, it's all about the conv- convenience and. Right. And I mean, it's just the, I mean, to get on the nerdy side, like the data you get um, on YouTube is like unparalleled, you know? So. If you're an advertiser and you want to run an ad on something, doing it on YouTube, you get so much more information. You know exactly how old they are, where they live, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like whether they're a parent or not. And it's just crazy because you can, YouTube as a company can pay more for those impressions because they can tell you exactly who's watching. Where if you're buying for the Super Bowl or anything on TV on primetime, it's like they only have their best guess as to who's watching, you know? Right. And, we all know that TV watching now is more passive anyway. You know, mm. if the TV's on, you also have another device in your hand. And so it's really not like that engaged type of experience. Like when you're watching YouTube, like especially on your phone, that's what you're doing. So I think it's just those impressions matter a lot more to advertisers, therefore making, you know, YouTube even more desirable all around. Can you speak to more of like the data side that you were just you were just talking about, like 
Because I know, I feel like a lot of people are scared of numbers. They're scared Mm -hmm. of seeing that and they're scared of looking into it, Mm -hmm. learning how to understand the analytics of what goes behind, you know, a platform like YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important to what my team and I do because mm -hmm. there's so many ways that if you look at the numbers long enough, it can help better inform your creative decisions down the line. So the most important measure to YouTube is called watch time. And that is what dictates pretty much everything on the platform. It, it rewards high watch time. It wants to encourage high watch time. And that literally means how many minutes someone spends watching your content. So to them, it is way more valuable if you have 500,000 people watching a video with an average view duration of like five minutes than it is to have a million people watching your 30-second cat video. Because wow. people yeah. spend way more time on that you know, 10 minute video than they did on the quick one. And therefore they're spending more time on YouTube and more time in the YouTube black hole. And like, they're going to keep going through it. So when the algorithm sees a channel with a lot of watch time, they're going to start recommending that video to other people because they said, Hey, these hundreds of thousands of people spent this much time watching it. You probably will too. So for us, it's important to look at that watch time and see what videos really drive the most. And why was it that those videos did? Was it the topic choice? Was it the way it was edited? Did we do something different? Then looking at the actual view duration. So they'll give you a graph. Like, did a lot of people drop off at one point? And like, what did we do there in that scene? Like, maybe we used camera C or footage from something that we thought was cool, but it just was immediately uninteresting. Maybe we had a ad there and people Mm. really reacted negatively to it. Similarly, what if there's like a positive bump in the retention? That means people will rewound and rewatch another part of it. And so what happened there and how can we increase that? Um, so there's so many things like that that it's important for the strategy team to go back and tell our creative team like, hey, we saw this happen, like viewer abandonment here or increased engagement here. How can we, you know, recreate that magic or kind of tighten it up if there was a, like abandonment? So that's super important. But even beyond that, you can look at the traffic sources, like where the views are coming from. Is it from search? Like are people just searching for random keywords and ending up at your video? And if that's the case, then you really should try to target that strategy. You know, like what other things can you do to capitalize on search traffic? But if most of your traffic is coming from people who already are subscribed to you, then how can you keep them happy mm-hmm. and do that? You can see is a bunch of your traffic coming from YouTube recommending it. It's called like suggestive videos. If YouTube is recommending your content, then that's like a really prime thing you should take advantage of. Like right now, that means your channel is going to start growing a lot. Right. Or does one video get recommended more than another? Was it because of the topic? Did it have better watch time? Like what could it be? So there's so many things like that to compare and it's just, they give you too much to ignore. Like it's just really cool and you could spend a really long time going into it and seeing what made a certain video take off more than another, what drove mm-hmm. more subscribers, what drove more earnings. All of that can really be found by just like playing with all the data. So what do you think that means in terms of like the debate of like how long a video should be? Because I know people mm-hmm. go back and forth of like, oh, is 30 minutes too long or should I keep it short to five mm-hmm. minutes? Does that differ on types of content? Like what, what do you think? It differs on a lot of things. I think especially at like the start of a channel, it's important to keep it at a length that's doable for you to produce easily because you want to be able to repeat that format mm. um, and not get fatigued doing it. And then, you know, if you start to see the view duration be really high on that video, then you know you can start pushing that length a little bit more and more. Like for example, one of our biggest channels, CinemaSins, they do everything wrong with movies. So it'll be like everything wrong with X movie and 
you know. So we used to start out doing like everything wrong with The Wizard of Oz in three minutes or less. It was like going through, putting out all the plot discrepancies and flaws in these movies doing as fast as we could. Then we realized that people were watching like 95% of the video, which is really high for YouTube. So oh, yeah. we started to be like, okay, how about five minutes? How about 10 minutes? And like the view duration and like the percentage stayed just as high. Now those episodes are like 35 to 45 minutes mm -hmm. and with just as high of a view duration. So it's made the channel really successful because that content can be longer and the audience like in TV is used to longer format now. I mean, it's just like a normal viewing session. That being said, I don't believe in like arbitrarily adding length to anything yeah. um, if it sacrifices the quality of the content. So if there's an instance where it doesn't need to be that long, then it just shouldn't. Also, there's been like a, a lot of studies done to show that there's a significant bump in the amount of video is recommended if it's over 10 minutes in length. Like, all the data is just so like glaringly pointing to that, it can't be a coincidence that there is something that triggers in the algorithm to recommend it more. But then I also don't like to say that in case someone's like, okay, I'm just gonna push to stretch this to 10 minutes. Yeah. And so I was like, don't do that because then you're also, you're going to leave even lower watch time when people get four minutes in and they're like, this is boring because you started putting in filler before the end. So it's really just about like, if your video is nine minutes and 30 seconds, try to add 30 more seconds. But if you feel like you've made a good piece of content and it's three minutes, then put it out. But if you feel like there's more to say that is going to be really interesting, then you can push the length as far as you can go. But definitely assess along the way. Like that's what's so great about the data is you can evaluate how one video did before finishing the next one. Mm, okay. Yeah, no, I, that's such great advice because I know like, again, it, there's always been this debate of like how long, how short, and even with podcasts, we could mm -hmm. go as far as that at right. some point. But um, in terms of content, what have you noticed about the different brands that you manage um, have you watched one grow from its early beginnings to where it is now? And what have you noticed about its strengths and weaknesses? Mm -hmm. So as far as like the actual like branded channels that we manage, they span from lifestyle content to cooking to like educational. Mm -hmm. And they all have been really successful, but in just their different ways. And there's different ways to reach those people. You know, so for cooking content, it's just about creating the really the catchiest, most effective recipes that you can and ha being different than all the competitors because there's so many. So that we were able to figure out pretty early on. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into educational, it's like really how much content can you fit into an episode that is like actually educational and informative and how can you get other people to find it at the beginning because it's so new and that's really where like all of like collaborations and working with other channels comes into play. And with the lifestyle content, it's so easy to be like, We'll go work with another lifestyle channel and do a video together as a bigger audience and they'll drive the audience over. It's just like looking at all who you want the audience to be and who you think it should reach and then find mm -hmm. the best way to get to them, especially when you start from scratch. Then when it comes to like all of our like traditional YouTuber type of people, they have their own crazy trajectories too. It could be something where one video ended up on the trending page of YouTube somehow and you know, they've been successful ever since. We've had some channels blow up because of the Reddit homepage. Like one of their videos, just like the Reddit community loved, and now they've like lifted them up. Um, I've had a lot of creators also take off on Facebook. 
which is really cool because Facebook video is now, anyone can upload and start monetizing your Facebook videos. Well, now you can premiere. Yep. Which is helping because I I manage a a series back at my job that's, you know, I I have time to record and edit. And so with that Mm -hmm. premiere feature, I can premiere it like it is live. Right. When it's not. Right. It's amazing. And it gives the audience that chance to also engage with each other as they're all watching it at the same time, which is a really cool experience. And both Facebook and YouTube are capitalizing on that, which is cool. It's just, once again, coming back to how it now is TV. Mm -hmm. It really is so weird and how that audience reacts to things like that. Like, they want to be able to watch it in real time with you. They want to... Especially on YouTube, they want to know what's behind your creative process. Right. You know, so behind the scenes videos do so well and they really see their favorite YouTubers as their friends. They feel like they know them mm-hmm. and they probably do. They've been watching their videos for eight to 10 years or something and they know they saw them in their bedroom, you know, with their parents. Now they see this cool house they have in LA, you know, it's just like, it's an experience unlike any other to be so accessible like that. So for the young entertainer that's listening to this, whether they're a musician, whether they're an educator that's in music, whether they're um, a comedian, you know, with all these different platforms, you got Facebook, we have IGTV now, mm-hmm. there's a video you can put on Twitter, YouTube, Vimeo, where do you suggest they start? And is it, do you feel like it's becoming like there's too many different platforms or does that serve different mm-hmm. types of content? I think... There, to a certain extent, different content does belong in different places. We've seen the most success with YouTube and Facebook overlapping. Like, we don't really have to change too much about an episode on YouTube to make it successful on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But, like, really what's most surprising, I think, is if you have a platform that you have the biggest audience on, you should start there. Because it is surprisingly hard to get an audience to go from one platform to the other, no matter how many millions of people are there. So start with where you have the audience already and you know that they're interested. And then if it's easy for you to manipulate that content accordingly to go onto the other platforms, you always should. It's interesting because like a lot of the times working with musicians, we see that like YouTube to them is like a burial ground for music videos, mm-hmm. or, like the occasional acoustic video. But to so many people, if they go to your YouTube page and you haven't posted in six months or like in most cases two years they think you quit. Like, because if you went to a band's Facebook page right now and they hadn't posted in six months, that's what you would think. You're like, are they, you know, in hibernation? Yeah, like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, but that's really the way people look at YouTube channels. So, like, I think it's just important, no matter what kind of content you're creating, to, if you're going to create a YouTube channel, then put stuff on it. But also, if Facebook's your biggest platform, maybe don't create a YouTube channel yet and try to grow that one yeah. until you feel like you have enough content you can spread it around. Um, and definitely don't count on one platform being able to drive a lot to the other because it's not really, people really do kind of have the spot where they live. You know, YouTube people aren't going to go over to watch your content on IGTV. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch it on YouTube where they're familiar with it. Gotcha. Yeah, where they most feel at home and where mm-hmm. they feel like they can really get to know your brand where it's right. easy for them that to access. That doesn't mean that you couldn't also have a million people on Instagram also watching you, but they're probably not the same. And I feel like with the swipe up feature... That's, mm-hmm. like, assisted so much, especially with the Definitely. bigger brands. It, you can take people to, you know, you can tease the content so easily in a story and send them to YouTube, which does help, but also that's good for, like, the casual view for someone to go see the video they really want to see, but that person probably isn't going to subscribe because they're not a YouTube user. Mm-hmm. They saw it on Instagram first. So working for Creative Nation, which mm-hmm. is a very forward-thinking publishing 
mm-hmm. um, publishing company. How did that help you in your job now at Made and Network? Yeah, it taught me a lot about small teams mm-hmm. um, because Creative Nation was really small at the time. And like everyone just helped everyone. We all did everything. Even as the intern, I feel like a part of like, the family and the culture. And I worked really hard to you know be a part of that. And then it was cool because when I got to Made In, it was just four of us. Mm-hmm. And I knew a lot of like, it's just really taught me how to step up and be a leader in a lot right. of ways because of that. And, you know, Beth and Kevin are both great examples of that. And so that's something that I've tried really hard to do at Made In to, like, you know, just encourage that family culture still as we continue to grow and yet also, like, you know, cultivate other leaders and inspire them to step up too. And you were a part of Yep mm-hmm. a long time ago when it was first getting started. Like, yes. What, what about it did you love um, at that time, you know, being involved with the community and mm-hmm. figuring out, um, what type of business relationships you wanted to make yeah. and how to navigate to where you are now. Yeah, as a college student, I went to a lot of YEP events because I felt like it was the only place to meet other like intern type of people mm-hmm. because at your internships, obviously, you only work with actual professionals and at the end of the day, you aren't as experienced as them. Yeah. So it was cool to meet other interns and hear about their stories and their companies and their experiences. And then uh, in 2014, I joined YEP as a leadership council member and my role was to plan all the mixers monthly. So that was a really cool experience because I loved event planning anyway, but it let me kind of find a way to give back to former younger me mm-hmm. um, to see, like, what would I have wanted in this? You know, how can I make sure that this is really a place for people to meet and also get more, like, advice and experience from people like us who now have been, you know, out working for a little while. So we found ways to you know, make sure we had at least a certain number of board members at every event. So they were there to go around and like answer questions and talk to people and, you know, like really bumping up the mailing list and trying to like give advice in any other way that we could. And it just became like this really cool community, one for all of us in leadership to really help each other out. And we still do, you know, years after being involved. But also like I met so many great students that turned interns, that turned employees, you know, because like one-third of Maiden has all been an intern before, at Maiden specifically. So it was just a great place to, you know, if someone's showing up to a mixer, no matter how shy or nervous they are, like, they're driven somewhere. You know, like, right. they're really motivated, and that just shows a lot. And that's kind of what you look for. So I just think that it's, any student, no matter if you've interned before, if you are a biology major it doesn't matter if you're interested in the entertainment business like you can show up to a mixer and you can meet someone and it could you know change your whole career path and culture is everything mm-hmm. I mean I've, I've you know experienced that myself and I'm sure even with like putting together these mixers it's kind of like putting together content the same thought mm-hmm. process you're creating a place where people feel like they belong where they you know find something right. that they're interested in they can grow mm-hmm. um they can be themselves right mm-hmm. So what? So what's your favorite type of content to enjoy? Like, oh, so much. I love cooking mm-hmm. and like any kind of spin on the traditional food content, whether it's you know food challenges or competitions or uh, just basic recipes. But you know, just more involved. So there are a lot of great channels that do that. I also love all of the um, like edutainment is what we call it. It's like educational while being entertainment still. So you know, learning crazy specific things about like uh, like film ideas and things like that or like weird video game tricks and like 
methodology. Like there's just so much. You can really learn a lot about every industry just from looking at the biggest creators in it and like realizing how much there is to know. Kind of like in the entertainment industry, you think there's like management and labels, and then you learn that there's so many other sectors and、mm-hmm. there's so much you can learn and do. It's the same way on YouTube. It's like, oh, I didn't even think there could be whole channels about you know like woodworking. And how interesting that is, and、right. how like those people are so good at or it, or like macrame, or just、yeah. like rant, just random jewelry stuff, making,、hobbies. like yeah, and how they are their own industries too. And that if you're a content creator or consumer, there's definitely something for、mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah, that's amazing. So edutainment, you did actually, you made me think of that earlier when we were talking about just the different types of content that you produce.、Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say, for example, the guitar player、mm-hmm. that makes money by going on YouTube and teaching、mm-hmm. musicians how to play the guitar, or even just any kind of education、mm-hmm. type video.、Um, what do you think entertainment adds to that? And do you think that educational content content is becoming、mm-hmm. edutainment? Yeah. You know? Definitely, a huge thing too is that educational things like that are accessible to everyone, regardless of their age.、Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think for all of our parents, even they use YouTube as how to do so many things, whether、mm-hmm. it's like changing a part in a car or doing a recipe, anything like that. And it's, I mean, it's the second biggest search engine for a reason behind、yeah. Google because people are researching how to do things. And just what's most important, I think, is. It, your educational element has to be entertaining because the way you're going to catch people is through search because they're searching for it, whether it's how to play a song, how to make a drink, how to do whatever. Then once they cl- like actually do that action of clicking on your video, you want them to stay there because there are how many thousands of other results for that same search term. So then your content, while it may be very good at teaching you whatever it is, you have to have some kind of personality or quality、mm-hmm. or interesting thing to it to make people want to stay. So I think that's what's most important is because education is growing in a good way and tutorials and that kind of thing. The competition is just even higher, so it's just making yourself stand out and providing value or other content. You know, so like maybe if you're a guitar instructional channel, maybe you have other like personality-driven content on that channel、mm-hmm. for the people who now like love you for your personality. So it's definitely a balance of bringing those people in with the search terms and then keeping them there with your. Like content and the entertainment value of it, and I don't know if I'm just like speaking for myself, but I know when I go online to search for like a tutorial on something in Photoshop,、mm-hmm. I usually end up on the video that's very to the point.、Mm-hmm. They're not talking a bunch at the beginning; like they're just、right. like we're going to get to it. Do, it.、Mm-hmm. do you feel like that's for a lot of people, or do you think it just kind of depends on? I think it's that way for a lot of people. It's about being clear, but then also、um, just being able to. Really answer the question in the best way. So I mean,、mm-hmm. sometimes that is like it might only be 15 seconds and you got what you needed, but sometimes it's more complicated, like than like a song or something or、yeah. a car part. Like then maybe you start to trust basically like their expertise, and so you want to see what they have to say about it.、Mm-hmm. So say you do want to, you know, swap out. I don't know anything about cars. Some part. <laughs> Uh, to you know, change changing your oil, your car, the tire, or like something really like cool that would modify it or、yeah. something. You know, so like maybe you will learn in the first ninety seconds how to do it, but then because of the person's like character and the way they talk about it, and you can tell like, oh, they really know what they're talking about. I want to see what they have to say about this, and then you、mm-hmm. can watch another video. So even though they were still like clear into the point without being like, you know, the food bloggers who have like a novel before the recipe, it's kind of like, okay, well, I liked the way. 
he, you know, his method on how to learn this Led Zeppelin song, so I want to see what they have to say about this Bob Dylan one, mm -hmm. you know? So then it just kind of sends you down that YouTube black hole again, and then you've, like, captured a subscriber. And so that's when your personality and everything else matters, too. That's awesome. So what is your day-to-day -day like? Let's talk about that. It, every day is different, which is kind of why I love it. Um, there's a lot of, like, the data, like I talked about before, like, assessing where all of our channels are. If there's anything that's indicating, like, a huge spike in growth or something we need to look at. Um, did certain videos this month do better than others and putting together all the reports and just kind of digging around. But then there's like a huge amount of management, I guess, every day that goes into that. So we have like anywhere from 35 to 40 videos go out every week. So on our team, we are in charge of not only making sure they go out on time, but mm -hmm. then doing all the things around that. So the metadata, like the title and the description and the tags, are those all ready to go? Is the thumbnail and any other graphic elements done? Uh, is there anything we need to do, either like a media spend if it's for a brand client or like a collaboration if we're working with another channel? Like there's just a whole like checklist of things that need to be done for all of mm -hmm. those videos. So making sure that's all on track, working with all of our creators on any inbound sponsorship opportunities, like making sure I will you know, find the inventory that's available, you know, get the contracts figured out, do all of that, get the talking points to the creator, make sure they're all met, that kind of thing. And then a lot of just like upkeep, like maybe it's booking calendars for some of our creators or, you know, setting up meetings internally to talk about a new idea, brainstorming like a new show concept or evaluating how one did before we film the next batch. You know, there's a lot yeah. of like art and science to it, like the creative element and then going in and making sure it's working. And so for someone that's new at content creation and they want to know what the word metadata means, mm -hmm. um, what does that mean in layman's terms? It basically means that so everything for SEO is taken care of. Okay. So for YouTube, it's really important that you use the same keywords in your title, your description, and your tags because then you're telling the algorithm that you have a tripled keyword, meaning it's in all three of those places. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a song tutorial, you want that song and artist name to be reflected in all three of those places because it's saying, hey, this video is really about this because mm. they said it a lot. Yeah. And so it's important to keep that in mind while also not, you know, you want to be really specific, but not too specific for search and then not spammy. You know, mm. so you don't want to have, yeah. if you are a musician, don't put in the tags like Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Justin Bieber, everyone who you're not because then that's going to send to the algorithm that you're lying about something. Ah, oh, okay. So there's like the balance of making sure you include all the information relevant to your video while also not trying to, you know, lie to appear in search results for things that you're not because it's too, it will catch that immediately. And we all know we've searched for a video about something specific and then we start watching the video and it's like, this is not anything right. remotely close to what I was needing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it's, like it's so important when you are writing that title and description that you're thinking of who is looking for it and who wants to watch it and what purpose does it serve because you want to make sure it gets in front of the right people. Because then say when you saw that video, that wasn't what you were looking for, you probably stopped watching pretty quick and that tells the algorithm something, you know, mm. that you stopped watching, yet you chose to click on it, but then you stopped watching. So either the title or the thumbnail or something was incorrect. And so then it might not recommend that video as much now. Which is why you need to go back to your analytics, mm -hmm. we, because that will tell you ultimately what right. metadata to use. Mm -hmm. Timing of when to post, mm -hmm. when to preview 
a video? Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you recommend nowadays? Because I've gone online, searched, you know, like the Monday through mm-hmm. Friday, Sunday through Saturday, whatever. Right. But I feel like that's changed. Mm-hmm. I think, and will continue to. It's always going to change because when people consume content, it's going to change, and mm-hmm. it depends on the individual. I think what's most important is, especially on YouTube, once you've established a certain day and time, to be consistent and to not change it. Because even if it doesn't feel like it, people do expect it. And then if you're still, you know, every Monday at 10 a.m. releasing something, you're feeding into the algorithm regularly, mm-hmm. and it knows that you're posting regularly. If you wait weeks between videos, then it doesn't really know what you've been doing, and your subscribers might not like immediately open it and watch it because it's a different time than they usually do. So it's just important, I think, once you pick that time to stay with it. And I mean, obviously it depends on where you're based. So like if you're in New York, maybe consider doing it a little later for people on the West Coast. Mm. Or if you're on the West Coast, doing it a little earlier to keep in mind for people on the East Coast. Things like that, even though your audience can be international, but at the end of the day, people are creatures of habit. So the more you can be consistent, just like Friends was on every Thursday at 8, you know. Or on Netflix, like I watched yeah. yesterday. Right. Binge watched. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you want to make sure that people know what to expect. I mean, it's just comfort. So become friends with the algorithm. Yes. Instead of disliking it. Yes. Yeah, yeah awesome. don't ignore it. Any final advice for the entertainer, for the, the, for the person that wants to work in production mm-hmm. in a job like yours? I would say to just definitely follow your passion. Like if you're really passionate about something, you can create content about it. Um, and it's not gonna, if you're trying to create something just because it's a trend or a fad, like people will know that you're not passionate about it. And it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. Like that's the only reason why creators can be around for decades is because they like at the beginning really were passionate about that thing. And that's why they can still create about it every single week. Mm-hmm. So if it's something you're gonna be burnt out on, then like maybe try something else. Um, because from a production standpoint, especially on YouTube, you're gonna be creating this every week. Like, so is the format repeatable? Mm-hmm. Is it easy to do relatively? Can you get ahead? Are there ways for you to always like come up with a new idea to plug into the format? Because otherwise you're just gonna get stuck in a couple months and then all the people you've got interested are gonna be confused if you switch it up or if you just stop. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about like the big picture and how long you could be doing it for from the beginning. Well, thank you yeah, for thank taking you. your time. This has been super interesting for me yeah. since this is like kind of the field that I'm in. Yeah. So thank you for sharing all your knowledge yeah, and anytime. everything. So cool. thank you. Thanks, Amelia. Visit maidennetwork.com to learn more about their team, creators, and the content they're producing. Thanks so much for listening to the Young Entertainment Professionals podcast. Check out yepnashville.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's at yepnashville. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Libby Olerich. Until next time, discover, cultivate, accelerate.